My guest this afternoon is Amelia Servan. Amelia is a cutting horse competitor who hails from northern New South Wales. Afternoon, Amelia. Okay, how are you? Well, thanks. Well, thanks. Um, We may as well start the conversation from the beginning. Um, Where did you grow up and how did you grow um, your involvement with with horses and in particular with cutting horses? Um, Well, I was originally, I was born in Gundawindi and my mum and dad lived at North Star where they were part of dad's family's operation. And dad actually, back when I was little, I have the vaguest memories of him playing polo. So um, dad was a avid, he did bit of show jumping as he grew up and then got into the polo and the North Star Polo Club back when bush polo was really popular was really strong. So I can vaguely remember um, going to the polo matches and dad playing there and then we made the move to Baraba to a place there owned by mum's family back in I think it was about 93 or 94 and I was four or five then. And then we, um, when we got back, got to North Star, Dad had stopped playing polo, and Mum and Dad had started camp drafting. So, were you? A, did you have a have a stint at camp drafting? Yep, yep. So I grew up. I did everything. I did pony club. I did. I had a couple of show ponies, but I did a um, fair bit of show riding, and then I camp drafted from as soon as I could. So from eight years right through until I still got a camp draft occasionally now, but probably when I finished school and started the cutting, I became less involved in the camp drafting. So you went from the camp drafting, you know, it seems to be a bit of a progression for people. They go from camp drafting to cutting. You, you had your first cutting horse for, what, 10 years or so? I bought my first cutting horse. I was in year 11 at school and I went to Carrollton in Tamworth. And the um, NCHA Futurity has always been run for the last however many years in Tamworth, and it used to be at the old showgrounds. And I used to um, try every opportunity I could get to go out from boarding school to the show when it was on. And um, Joe and Charlotte Gibson used to come and pick me up up in the afternoons and take me out, and I'd help them clean stalls or exercise horses and that. And then, so one year when I was in year 11, um, I bought a yearling out of the NCHA yearling sale. Mm-hmm. And then the year I left school, my first year out of school, I showed that mare, her name's Erin Crappen Smarty, in the Snapple Bit Futurities. And um, that was my introduction to cutting. And I actually won the Darling Down Snapple Bit Futurity on that little mare. And she's since had four foals and Charlie's now riding her. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she was a good keeper, that one. Yes. Every time I watch cutting, I sort of think, who teaches these people? You know, how, how does this all happen? Um, I've watched it many a time and I probably need to spend some more time with someone like yourself who knows a bit more about it so I can get my head around it. But did you go to some, you know, there's always lots of cutting schools and stuff like that or was your father into it as well? Did you just pick it up as you went along? No, well, I was the first one out of my family to do it, but I've always wanted to do it since. As long as I can remember, it was something that had intrigued me. And um, I, we, we did a lot of schools when I was little. Mum and Dad did horsemanship cult starting schools with Ken May. So he was probably my first introduction 
too cutting and he started us riding um, that Western style of riding so that when I actually started to have a go at the cutting, it wasn't such a transition for me because I already rode that way a little bit more than the English riding, which I'd started doing when I was show jumping, riding show horses and that. And then when we started, dad and mum also purchased a four-year-old acres stud called Berenda Acres, who Frank Green had trained, once mm-hmm. again through the NCHA security sale. And we sent him to Russ Benson for a little bit to start with at Argyle at Tamworth. And then Russ left Argyle and we went to Phil Dawson. And Phil, Phil got me started with the showing and that sort of stuff. Um, like he was a great great teacher early on, but we never really kept horses with Phil. I'd just go to Phil for lessons and then go home and mess about with it myself. <laughs> and um, and I sort of, I, I'm self-taught. I've made a lot of mistakes on the way, but I am very much self-taught. And I think that's a big thing because I've learned how to ride horses that weren't perfect through a run and it's taught me to be a great showman. Yeah. So, you know, in the cutting world, does cutting, do you cut once a week, is it, or is it like camp drafting or pony club? Is there, you know, somewhere where you go every every weekend and do it, or is it more of a um, a show that happens and and the, the big shows are what you chase and and the rest you just muck around doing at home and training? Yeah, um, we spend a lot of time training at home. Like it takes two years to train a futurity horse, so you can't go for that much amount of time at home not working horses. Like we've always got something in something being worked every week. Where it comes to your shows, cutting sort of, we have our weekend shows, which are sort of equivalent to your normal camp draft. There's not as many of them as the draft, but there's enough to go if you wanted to go cutting. Not every weekend, but you could go once a month if you wanted to. But then our aged events, which are our major shows, and there's NCHA at the Futurity at Tamworth, and then Toowoomba have a Futurity, St. George have a Futurity Comet, Gundawindi and then Victoria, and those shows all run seven to ten days anyway. So when we go to our shows, we're gone for longer. So we don't go as often, but we're gone for longer, if that makes sense. Yep. And so have you got a, a truck full of horses, as the camp drafters say, or do you just take one or two? Um, majority of non-professional competitors in the non-pros have one or two horses, and then the trainers have a truckload of horses. But um, myself, coming from the camp drafting background, I've become accustomed to having a truckload of horses. <laughs> so when we do go to shows, we have eight or nine to show on between myself and my brothers now showing, and my husband Billy shows a little bit, and mum and dad show. Um, but I do myself have the most horses to show out of the family because I've been doing it the longest and they're all the ones that I've put the work into. Yep. So just touching on that, it's it sounds like it's um a bit like all other horse sports. It's a it's a big family environment. Is that something that's unique to uh, the Tonkins, or is is it a big family sport that you find lots of you know all of the time? It is a family sport. There are other families that do it, but it is very special to us to do it as a family. Like it's something I really enjoy being able to do it as a family. And when you show, you've got to have two people in your corners holding the herd, two people out the front turning back. And these days I now use my mum, Carrie Ann Tonkin, in the corner. She helps me pick cattle. And when Billy can be at the show, Billy goes out the front. So in my out of the four people in my help team, two of them are family. 
on a personal note, that would be lovely to have. But do you think there's an advantage in that because you all are on the same, singing from the same hymn sheet about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve and and they must clearly know your horses better than Johnny Come Lately who happens to be there to help you do it? Yes, I think it's definitely an advantage, especially having mum. Mum and I pick our cattle together. We have our own system that we use and mum doesn't help anybody else. So she never has another competitor competing before me that she's got to find cattle for, which happens a lot when you use the other trainers because there's only a certain number of people to help and then there's so many competitors. So that is something I feel as a major advantage of having mum in my corner. <laughs> um, we sit there and talk about it the whole time, watch the herd settle. It's not always, once when family's involved, it's not always, um, we don't always get along. We can have some disagreements over whether a cow was a good cow or a bad cow or who, who picked it and who thought this and who thought that. But um, at the end of the day, we just shake it off and move on. Yep. You've recently been to the States and, and um, competed over there. That would have been probably the pinnacle of it all for you, was it? Um, it was a great opportunity and I had a really good time and the people that I stayed with, Rocking Pea Ranch and Jesse Lennox, who trained the mare that I showed were unbelievable, but it probably wasn't the highlight of my career, so to speak, because she wasn't a mare I trained. I just catch Rhoda, like I can't claim all the glory for the horse because Jesse trained her beautifully and I only sat on her for the three weeks I was over there. So probably my most satisfying buying things is the non-perpetuities I've won here in Australia because they've been on horses that I myself have trained. How was that going over, you know, landing in the States, getting on a horse? Did you take your own saddle even to get on a horse and ride that you've never laid eyes on before? That in itself I would have thought to most would be a fair challenge or is that sort of fairly normal in the cutting world? It is fairly normal for non-professionals to do that because a lot of non-pros don't train their own horse, so the trainer trains them and they just arrive and ride them. But that was the first time I'd ever shown a horse that I hadn't trained. So I did find it a bit daunting. I was um, just like, I I didn't know the mare. Like I had a handful of work on her, but I didn't know exactly how to make her do everything I needed her to do, which when I show here at home, I know I can do exactly what I want whenever I want it done. So that was a bit different and I only took my boots and my hat and my chat. So I <laughs> like the saddle was unfamiliar and trying to work out like bits to show her in because Jesse's preferences, what he'd trained her in is totally different to what I am used to. And I ended up, I showed her a couple of times and we got through the go rounds, but I was like, there was, she didn't steer like one of my horses. Like um, I went to cut my first cow and came to step up to it and she's just started backing up and I'm sort of trying to ride a forward and the more I tried to push a forward, the more she's wanting to suck back and it took a, a lot to find all those little cues as you were going through a run without giving away to the judges that you didn't exactly know what you were doing. <laughs> um, and then I, I ended up borrowing a bridle a bit that is the same as one that I use here at home that belonged to um, Jesse's two-year-old guy. And that's the bridle that I went and showed in in the semifinals and the finals. And um, it did make a difference. Just finding things that I was comfortable with, that the mare was comfortable with as well. And so do you think you'll go back and do that again? Or do you think I've ticked that box? No, well, the plan was to um, to go back and show her in April at Swift State, uh, which has all um, been put to yeah. the end with the COVID-19 thing. And then the plan was to go back in April, show at the Super State, 
come home, show her at the maturity, and then go back in July and show her at some spectacular over there and then go on from there. So none of that's going to happen, which is a bit disappointing because I've got this beautiful mare that I know I can go and show mm. over there and I can't get there now to show it, especially now um, the super stakes were cancelled, but the summer spectacular in July I think is going to go ahead, but it's just out of the question for me. So, yeah, it was something that was meant to be ongoing, but, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. Next year, I guess. Still, I haven't sold the mare yet. Um, whether I keep her and try and show her as a five and six year old, or it depends when we can travel again and that. Yeah. Not many people it hasn't affected, really, is it? No, not at all. What has been the proudest moment that you've had so far in the cutting? You know, what's the best buckle you've got that the one that really means the most to you? Oh, I don't know. I've got lots of. I've done well in lots of things. Different things mean different things to me because of the horses that I did it on. My first non prosecurity I won in 2015 on a mare called QXH, Benita Stylish, is probably something that's pretty special to me. I still show Benita and I've gone on to win a lot of other things with that mare. And I'm going to show her first baby at this year's maturity, which is very special. I also had another little horse called World Series Cat, who I've, I've lost. Um, I lost him in 2016, but he was very special. So everything I had on him, I won on him, is very special now because I don't have him anymore. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they're all special. On that day, they're the most special thing that you've won. All special in their own way. <laughs> they are. And you don't know whether it's going to be your last win. So you've got to take the time every time you do well, to reflect on it and be thankful that you've done well because nothing's guaranteed that you're going to be able to do it again. So to get these horses to this stage, and, you know, clearly you've done well, you've been very successful, how many hours a day or a week do you think you put into a horse to get it to that level where you can go, I'm going to have a good weekend, this horse is going really well? Uh, It takes a lot of time to train a cutting horse. I think the key... Two, having a horse good at the futurity is giving yourself enough time for starting early enough with them to allow yourself to have the full two years of training before they go to the futurity, which is a big ask because they've got to show at the futurity of three-year-olds. So all my horses for the 2023 futurity have just been broken in. A friend of ours, Cody Huff, starts them, so he's just finishing, finished doing them. So they've already started their program for two years out. Mm-hmm. And um, not 2023, 2022 they are, um, for two years out. And then I sell them and then I'll bring them back in sort of July and start my program with them. And you just go steady to start with, with them being babies and slowly. And then, and that way you give yourself enough time to let them have spells in between and that. But it is a lot more than a camp draft horse. If you ha- aren't consistent with your work, you run out of time. But um, they only take 15 to 30 minutes a day actual training any longer than that it's a bit more of a like you're just doing too much with them but then in saying that other days I just take them out mustering and because you can't train on them every single day you've got to mix it up and and work with the horse and the level they're at. So in the cutting world who's your number one idol? If you could be like anybody in the cutting world other than yourself who would it be? Uh, That's something I haven't actually 
pick one person out. There's lots of people that I um, admire. There's lots of people, like the styles of their horses and that, that here in Australia and in the States, I think um, you can't go past Todd. Graham, um, just, I just admire him as a competitor. He's so consistent. His horses are always good and not just one. Every show he goes through, they're all always good. So he's probably somebody that you have to admire. My biggest mentor here in Australia are probably um, Lindsay and Aaron Wheatley have been really good to me. I love the way their horses go. They have helped me a lot. I use Aaron in my corner at all the major shows and Lindsay has been um, a great friend and a great help to me. Um, We talk about training horses and having problems with them and that all the time. So um, that's probably, yeah, my biggest mentors here in Australia. So, you know, when you train a horse, you've got it there and you ride it for a bit. How many do you turn out and go, they're never going to make it? The ones that are difficult as young horses aren't necessarily the ones that aren't going to work. Like you can pick the ones from the beginning that just aren't going to make it, like don't bother with them. But some can be heartbreakers. Some can feel the whole way through their training like they are going to be really good and they're just not show horses. Some can have a bad experience out of your control when you first show them, which takes a little bit of getting them back to where, what you thought they were going to be. And then other ones can be really hard work the whole way through <laughs> and actually end up surprising you by the, if you persist, persist them by the time you get to showing. But these days we just we have our own group of brood mares, my mum and dad and myself and Billy, that we breed. And I'm now getting into three and four years of, um, all my show horses pretty well come from that group of mares, so we're not buying in any outside horses like we did at the beginning. And I find that that's an advantage because I know when I start them what that group of horses are going to be like because of their siblings. Like I know that that mare's foal might start a bit sluggish and a bit slow, but they seem to come at the end. And I, I think that's an advantage. Training like that one group of horses that you've had all of their siblings in front of them it sort of knows you what to expect and, and how long you have to wait and how to be patient with them. What's your advice to people who want to get into the cutting game um, as a sport? It sounds like it's a very sure and steady wins the race. Don't think you're going to come be a cutter and have a horse and be winning buckles within three months of owning the horse. It's clearly not a sport for those that like action to happen fast. Yeah, it depends because there's two ways of coming into the sport. You can go and buy a um, completely trained older show horse and then when you do that, then you can go to show and you've just got to learn to ride the horse and if the horse is good enough, you can be winning fairly early on. If you've got enough knack to be able to ride the horse, you can have a lot of success early or you can do it the way idea that you can come through the snaffle bit and you can train yourself along the way and you've just got to be patient because there's a lot to learn. But I think if you come come through it that way, you're a lot further ahead by the end because you can ride and make a lot of horses. Whereas if you just get the one good horse straight up, you can do really well until that horse has finished its show career and then you've got the task of replacing that one special horse. So um yeah, it's just deciding what you want to do and how competitive you are as to which way you want to enter the sport. But it's not as difficult to get involved in as it looks. Everybody in the cutting industry is really supportive of new members. Like anyone is keen to help. Anybody that wants to learn, um, they're more than happy 
to help and and it's not as scary as it seems going to your first show and finding four people to help you because anybody you ask will help you. Yeah. So any words of advice to those young people like yourself who are, have a young family? How you juggle it all? You must have a lot of balls in the air some days between trying to train <laughs> horses, look after the most gorgeous little boy alive, a husband, parents. It's a, a big involved environment. What's your advice to those people who think, oh, I'm having babies and I, I'm going to sell my horses? Don't do it. Yeah, don't do that because you can do it all. You can, You really can do it all. You can ride when you're pregnant and you can ride when you've had a baby and you can ride just as good after you've had a baby as you could before you had the baby as much as it seems when you're pregnant that you can't. <laughs> and, yeah, Charlie's just come with us wherever we – he's been to probably as many cutting shows as any child his age and they just fit in. You work out how to do it. You do need to have people around you. Like, you need to have that support. And we've been lucky with my family. When I am at a show, there's always a handful of people around that can watch the baby, can like the horse. Like, you can't do it on your own, so to speak. But if you've got support, it's very easy to do. Yeah. Thanks, Amelia, for that. We wish you many more buckles and much more training. And we look forward to catching up with you soon. Stay safe. Thank you. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications, specialising in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.